Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I have the good fortune talking with Charles Chuck Bazerman. Chuck has taught for 50 years in a range of different educational settings and has made significant contributions to writing studies, most notably through his work in genre studies or rhetorical genre studies and writing across the curriculum. Chuck Bazerman is a distinguished professor at the UC Santa Barbara Gewurz Graduate School of Education. His research interests are in the practice and teaching of writing, understood in a socio-historic context, using socially-based theories of genre, activity system, interaction, intertextuality, and cognitive development. He investigates the history of scientific writing, other forms of writing used in advancing technological projects, and the relation of writing to the development of disciplines of knowledge. His Handbook of Research on Writing, Society School, Individual Text won the 2009 Conference on College Composition and Communication Outstanding Book Award. His other work includes Reference Guides to Rhetoric and Composition, Writing Across the Curriculum, and Shaping Written Knowledge, the Genre and Activity of the Experimental Article in Science. In this episode, we talk about what surprises him the most about teaching writing. He reflects on rhetorical genre studies and the impact genre has on teaching writing and his interest in writing across the curriculum. Chuck, thanks for joining us. You've taught for 50 years. What has surprised you or continues to surprise you the most about teaching? And what stands out to you about the development of teaching writing, the evolution of theories and practices over the past 50 years? Yeah, I've taught for uh, over 50 years uh, in higher ed, just about 50 years. So what surprised me and continues to surprise me and I learn more about is the students, what they know, how they perceive things, how they develop, and how individual they are, and how much you have to speak to them to really be of any value to them. You need to somehow intervene in their own, their own exploration and their own development. And so that means you have to get to know them. And so from the earliest, um, my early teaching experience was in uh, first grade and third grade. The students were a revelation, and that's what motivated me, and that's what continues to motivate me. And uh, but and everyone is different. So even if you're teaching the same course for the ninetieth time, the different students. So that's. That's been the, the big surprise. And all, all the research and theory has been simply to understand what is writing so I can help them explore it and, and use it better um, as part of their own development. I suppose you could also say it's very surprising. When I started, there were only a few general folk beliefs about writing. All writing was the same. Good writing was good writing. Some people had talent, others didn't. Uh, now, this is like partly truth. It's, it's an inmost expression. You find it in yourself that there were certain favored forms of writing and they defined real writing. Other things were shopping lists. Shopping lists turned out to be really interesting the more I thought about them. <laughs> certain literary styles were favored and thought to be worth attention. Everything else was 
boring, non-fiction, non-creative, right? And so uh, as I've come to know writing uh, a lot more and uh, with many colleagues such as Amy and Carolyn and uh, many others, uh, and we've explored writing in different ways, we've come to understand it a lot more, um, both as the great variety of texts in the world, their role in the world, but also how people produce them, how people develop as writers. That's the thing that's most changed. Uh, Students are still students, right? (laughs) Um, uh, And they each come with their own histories and their own motives. And, but we have a lot more understanding we can use to help them grow as writers. And and as I've looked into that myself and it's moved from uh, an individual facing the challenges of a particular task, although that's important. That's how we experience writing. That's how our students experience writing. Start to see how writing done by many people over many millennia has really uh, worked its way into the heart of society and in fact made possible the large forms of cooperation and identity and uh, activity that formed the modern world. So uh, I I keep calling it the hidden infrastructure of modernity um, and is invisible to to most people, the enormous importance it is. uh, And uh, so people's development as writers and their processes are embedded in that great complexity. Um, And the example I always use, if you were uh, the child of a farmer in Mesopotamia, you could learn to count the cows and get your counting stones by the side of your parent, (laughs) Uh, you know, in the course of daily life and with no big deal. Today, every role of power involves massive amounts of reading and writing um, and writing different from reading is more receptive writing is having a voice if you don't write you don't have a voice so to engage and participate in these massive complex social endeavors that are mediated by writing meaning almost everything you have to develop very high skills Chuck, you're talking about these social systems, these complex structures, which reminds me of your work in genre studies. Rhetorical genre studies really changes the way we think about genre and teaching writing because it challenges us to study and understand how genres are rhetorical and connected to social purposes and actions. In 1994, you introduced the term genre systems. You write, genres are not just forms. Genres are forms of life, ways of being. They are frames for social action. They are environments for learning. They are locations within which meaning is constructed. Genres shape the thoughts we form and the communications by which we interact. Genres are the familiar places we go to create intelligible communicative action with each other and the guidepost we use to explore the unfamiliar. I was hoping maybe you could talk more about what this means, or the thinking behind genres as forms of life, ways of being, and frames for social action. Let me go backwards a little bit to the um, to the group of people who were earliest interested in genre, uh, and 
what I learned from them and how I positioned myself within them. And as I started to look into academic writing and writing in different disciplines, and I did the study of uh, uh, what written knowledge does. And I, I saw I was identified that three different texts from different disciplines were uh, fundamentally different on a number of uh, parameters. But um, I didn't have a good way of mapping it. Um, I really didn't know how to talk about the differences. Uh, and I was also starting to work with the history of the scientific paper by then, too. Uh, and I heard Carolyn, I think it was in 79, where she was giving her presentation, an early version of what was to become her 84 paper. It, it clicked in my mind. That was the concept I needed. And what I saw Carolyn doing in that paper and eventually came out, and I really encouraged her to write it, like five, took her five years of arm twisting to get her to publish it, because she just sort of, well, that was a dissertation chapter. It was a, but what she did is she linked the rhetorical tradition to the sociological tradition. And at that time, I was studying, I was sitting in on a seminar on the sociology of science. I know Carolyn made that link, but she was very close, remained very closely tied to the rhetorical tradition. Amy was working on genre from a historical linguistic perspective. And then she studied the, the uh, accountant's letters. I was editing. So I had a lot of discussions with her. I, I do a lot of, when I edit, I often do a lot of developmental stuff because it's a way for me to learn and, and engage. And so for my sociology studies, I suggested to her that the concepts that would be useful for her would be genre sets. So it's not just a collection of genres, but these were like different ways of enacting genre. So they're not just linguistically different. But there were different forms of participation. Okay, another thing I thought was brilliant in Amy's essay, in the tax accountant essay, was the way uh, she started to, the different ways the tax code was referenced in the different genres. So there were different forms of intertextuality. And so Amy gave, had this crystal clear example of even within a single profession, how different genres engaged you in the literature, because the literature is also kind of a social world. It's not the talking social world, it's the texting social world, right? And, again, and that's easy for us to conceive of now, now we have uh, all our devices and social media. But, you know, back then it was like harder to figure that out. Um, I was thinking through that, and that was part of my thinking through further into a sociological way of, of thinking, why is this important? It's phenomenological. It's a way of being. It's, a, it's an activity. It's a, a, a way of imagining ourselves and a way of imagining others. Uh, and therefore, it's ideological, not in a shallow sense, but uh, the ideology is the world we see around us, the way we think about the world. So genres essentially induced us into, they became historically received. This is another thing I get from the uh, history of scientific writing, that these were historically emerged, and they had the kind of wisdom and orientation of the field built into them. So when you learned it, you learned to participate in the ways that were um, sanctified, uh, uh, built over the years of the, of the field. Okay, so that's 
sort of the kind of thinking behind that. So how does this thinking, or how does rhetorical genre studies inform the way we see and teach writing? I really like, for example, how you say genres are the guidepost we use to explore the unfamiliar, because I think knowing and seeing genres as guideposts can really help us be better teachers of writing. So, so yeah, the gui- word guidepost, uh, people often t- teach genres as rules and conventions that you need to follow. But they're there for a reason, because they're part of the reasoning that field engages in, right? And so you need to see the wisdom or maybe the lack of wisdom, the obsolescence of these various things they are expected to do. You can always violate as long as you got a good explanation, right? If you can bring your audience along with you, right? You you can do anything, but if you but if you're violating and you're not they're going to say, "Huh? What? Well, why are you doing this to me? Unless you got a good way to bring them along, then you've lost, right? So the, the guideposts, think about it, understand why you're using them and when you're violating them. But as, as guideposts, they can also help you see farther. You know, it's uh, that um, if it's an expectation that this is a, like really simple, like my earliest teaching that you have after you have a quotation, you you should talk about it for a while rather than just let it sit there. But actually, when I <laughs> when I first started teaching, nobody told me that, right? And I had to make that up and use that, and I put it in a textbook. But that's really useful because it forces you to say what it is you want the reader to get from the quotation. Makes you think more and become more precise. And so there's a lot of those genre expectations that really force you to go to dig deeper or or to look more. Students need to be really engaged, not just in the material they're writing about, but in the tasks and, and social groupings they are engaged in. And you have to find ways to help them connect with, with it, which is taking their projects seriously and but their projects bring with it a social world and helping them connect up with relevant social worlds that would motivate them or or social worlds they're already engaged with, but figuring out how do you engage them more deeply in a more serious way, in a more demanding way, that'll draw more from their writing, that they'll see the challenges in their writing. That's the main lesson, that it's engaging in in the world students are writing for and helping them engage and and therefore grow. And then you support that in whatever ways you can. You help direct and support that. But, you know, they're learning to write. You're not learning to write. Uh, you, you may, you learn a lot of stuff which will help you write. But, you know, they're the ones that are struggling with the writing and solving the problems, right? So you got to get them engaged in the problems and see higher level problems and care about those higher level problems. Because if they don't care, they just do what's necessary to solve the problem of how to get a grade, which is not a very interesting problem. You need to understand where they live to help them grow <laughs> from where they're living. Um, uh, although uh, genre activity theory is as seen as sociocultural, which it rightly is, it's also psychological the formations of and activities of minds in situations, which is how our brains, they are discovering work, that they're very flexible organs that are responsive to uh, 
<laughs> to where they are taking in information and trying to solve problems about like where do you take the next step thank you chuck this is my last question i'd love to give you some space to talk about writing across the curriculum and whack with programs i'm thinking back to our earlier conversation on social systems and action and how knowledge moves from one place to the next and how writing is an incredibly important part in that process not only the transfer of knowledge but how writing gives us a voice. With that being said, at least for me, WACWID programs have these opportunities to serve institutions, program students in really unique ways. So I'd love to hear how you became interested in writing across the curriculum and your thoughts on the importance of that work. I have been very much drawn to WAC and WID, but I have never been uh, a director of a, a WAC or WID program. And in fact, none of the campuses I've been at has there been a successful wacko with program. So I'm not I'm not the practice guy, I'm not the administrator. So it's kind of odd that I have become so engaged in in some ways uh, I'm considered an expert in that area and to publish reference guides <laughs> to it and uh, considered a spokesman. But it was because I saw early on uh, when I said, "Why do we have college writing?" It's to uh, why, why do we have the luxury of all these students, which provides us with jobs and interesting work, is because students need to write for their university courses. It's pretty much that simple. So let's figure out what it actually is they're writing for their university courses. And I think this is fundamental. It seemed to me that from the beginning that WAC needed to approach each of their disciplines with a great deal of respect and understanding the variety, I think it took the field as a whole a while to get there uh, because they first just, they were very much taken with the practices they developed. So writing programs have been by and large the um, pedagogical innovators uh, for the universities since the 1950s or 60s and things like writing centers, uh, collaborative pedagogies, uh, learning centers, importance of communication with students, even the question of writing uh, uh, inquiry-based education. Another thing I want to mention about writing across the curriculum, to come back to why I've stuck with it, even though I've never really engaged with programs, is the formation of knowledge and how do people get knowledge. How does that enter into how they think and how they communicate and the bonds and commitments they make through their writing? Where does that knowledge come from? And if you think about the analogy between human beings, uh, we're not computers on desks. We're not brains in a bottle because we have eyes and ears and we walk around and we touch things and we get to know the world and we try to make sense of it and bring it in. Research methods, one of the main ways that knowledge of the world gets into texts and therefore enters into the activity systems. There are um, related ways like so uh, intertextuality is knowledge from one system gets into another. But if, if texts are the place we communicate and we think through things, we analyze them and we make proposals out of them and we make plans and situations, it's important we get knowledge into them and that the ways of getting or data about the world gets formulated into useful knowledge. That's, to me, of paramount importance. I mean, if you just look at things like um, uh, climate change and climate change denial and the way I looked at the uh, uh, Congress 
and the way congressional hearings are used or not used to admit knowledge of climate change and the various devices of going, nah, 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 I'm not going to listen, not gonna listen. we're not going to have a hearing on this, or the hearing is going to be about this other thing. Right? <laughs> it's going to be about uh, NASA wasting money, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's how knowledge does or does not get into a system and therefore not get into action, into action or not. So I think this is a paramount importance in the academic disciplines uh, and related kind of research communities have been one of the tremendous changes that have allowed us to think differently and gather knowledge and deal with our world in a more intelligent, sensitive, aware way. So that's why, you know, <laughs> writing across the creek was like really important. <laughs> Thank you again, Chuck, for taking time to join us today. And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.